to Beyond Beauty, the Professional Beauty Association's podcast where we take a deeper look into the minds and hearts of the amazing professionals who make up this professional beauty industry. I am Leslie Perry, your host, and with me today, I am so honored to have Sherry Pettenbrink. She is the Artistic Director for Olivia Garden and also the Creative and Education Director for LaSab. And it is just a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you for being a part of this. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. So, I mean, first, how do you have the time doing double duty now with Olivia Garden, with LaSab, and, and merging all of your all of your talents and your loves together? I know. You know, um, and I just became a grandmother with number seven. Oh, my gosh. Seven. <laughs> I know. Seven grandbabies. Um, you know, some days are more of a jumble than others. Some days can be very challenging. And I think to myself, like, what was I thinking to try to fill all these shoes? And then, you know, other days I have a lot of time to reflect and plan and be really super organized. So for the most part, the two brands that I represent, honestly, they play off each other because they're not competitive in any way. They've got a different culture, a different direction. You know, one's very established here in the U.S. as well as globally, while the other one is more globally established. And we're just starting to really um, break ground here in the U.S. So they both come with their different kind of creativity and challenges. So they really play off each other nicely. And I just I'm a busybody. I really am. I don't relax well. So it works out for me really well to be busy. <laughs> And you've been in the industry for a while. You're a veteran of the industry. Last 41 years. <laughs> oh my gosh. What keeps you motivated, inspired? How do you keep it together for this many years in professional beauty? You know, I, I think the biggest thing, honestly, that keeps me inspired is I really love watching new talent like Blossom and come up, you know? Um, I love scrolling through Instagram and seeing you know, this whole like chemistry game resurfacing and, and these um, stylists really interested in not just the same old technique that everyone's doing, but kind of putting a spin on things and starting to talk about foundations and chemistry and whatnot. Um, I get inspired by challenge also. I find myself constantly going down these paths and then halfway down the, the journey, I'm like, what was I thinking? And then I realize, you know what, this is what really keeps me going and it keeps me inspired. The versatility that this industry has to offer is something that has always kept me very inspired and passionate because if one thing doesn't work out, there's a whole nother avenue that you can take within, you know, staying within the industry. Has it ever been in, for you more than surface level beauty? Or if you can talk about when it's been a deeper meaning for you other than, yes, transforming someone's look or, right. you know, making something beautiful and amazing. It feels good, but like, how does it go deeper for you? Yeah, you know, I have spent a big part of my career kind of breaking those boundaries because I feel like there is a certain stigma that comes along with being a hairdresser. And there's a lot of campaigns out there right now and a lot of awareness to what our industry really truly has to offer. And I've kind of always been that person that um, I always wanted to take it beyond me just standing behind the chair, one bum at a time in the seat, making a living. Um, I always made it more than that. And um, Again, you know, with just the different challenges, I mean, I've been a salon owner, I've had a huge salon with commission employees, a barbershop, 
part of that, a spa, everything. Um, and just sort of like any time that I can break those boundaries. We worked, um, when I had the salon, we had a room that was private that we could take clients into that were uh, cancer patients that wanted to try on wigs and things like that. And they could do it in the privacy of this room with their stylist. And I loved that. Um, I still work a lot with those with a lot of those kinds of clients as well. Um, for me, it was never, I never wanted to, it to be this just like, you know, stand behind the chair, just taking the retouches as they come. You know, I had a challenging time when I owned the salon and I was very busy with clientele, booked to the max forever. People would re try to rebook for the rest of the year. And it come to my realization that I didn't have a life because all I, all I had done is I had booked myself out so far, I couldn't plan a vacation, my children's dentist appointments, you know? So I had to start figuring out a better method. And so I started limiting to how far out my book would go. And I went with four months and I thought that's good enough because I can manage those four months to juggle things around. So every day that next day would open up. It was like the job of the receptionist to open that next day. So I was always four months. But that way, if I did want to book my my you know women's checkups, right? I wanted I mean, to get my kids in for their teeth cleaning or whatever it might be. I was able to change it up. Maybe I wanted to change the days I worked, the shifts I worked, the times I worked. And that kind of thing. And I always kept myself a day, one day a month that I was on the books for new client makeovers only, because that's the part that happens. We strive for that clientele that we're booked, booked, booked. And it's in our head, you know, I got to be booked out and I need to make this much money every week and all of those kind of things. You get caught up in it. So what I did is once a month, I left that day and the only people that could be booked in there were new clients that wanted extreme makeovers, whether it was a full set of extensions to be installed, it was a complete cut and color change, but it had to be a significant um, kind of makeover and change and a new client because I started to resent my new girls because they were doing all the fun stuff. <laughs> you know, and I was like, hey, wait a second, you get to do all these fabulous makeovers and I'm over here doing the bread and butter retouches, you know, all day and not feeling creative all the time. So I think it's up to us to, to keep that challenge and, and make it more than that. But I mean, the way we touch our clients the relationships that we build, the secrets that we are the keeper of, you know, there's nothing, there's not another industry out there like it. Yeah. <laughs> if you weren't doing what you're doing now in beauty, what do you think you would be doing? Well, it's funny because I always call myself like a closet makeup artist. And it's funny because Whenever I'm on a shoot, they're always looking for me and there's like, where, where's Sherry? You know, because I'm supposed to be on set with the model. Meanwhile, I'm getting makeup tips from the makeup artist. <laughs> model. Oh, who makes that shade? What's the name of it? Picture. Let me write it down. And I'm, I'm, I'm the true like makeup stalker. I probably follow as many makeup artists as I do hairdressers, to be honest. And I'm always on with the new, the new brand, the new look, the new shades, the new colors, the contouring, the not contouring, you know? So yeah, I would say that I would definitely probably be uh, a makeup artist. <laughs> and 
similar but but not similar to that is you've seen a lot of change i'm sure in the industry in your time here in professional beauty do you think is there anything still missing to you in professional beauty is something missing that you really wish existed or what would you like to see you know that is such a great question leslie because you know trends come and go and and these different phases in which we watch things go away and come back around and you know, my very, the very first question I made this comment about like starting to see more um, interest in the technical aspect, the chemical aspect of what we're actually putting on our clients hair. Is it good for them? Is it healthy for their hair? Really caring about all of that. And I think this awareness of like, you know, so many of the sulfates and ingredients now are being eliminated and we're watching brand after brand, you know, jump on board with these SLS free, SLES free. And there's there's proof, you know, there is there are studies that are now showing us some of these harsh ingredients that have been there for a long time shouldn't probably be there. And I love that I'm seeing the brands get on board with that and actually take it serious and start coming out with these sublines, you know, that that cover all of that. Um, but also the foundations, like the true foundations, you know, I, I, I loved hair artistry and I feel like we slowly got away from that and it became a very kind of more free form, free flow with all of the balayage and the free painting and the whatever, you know, it was, it was, it became a lot more of like a free for all almost and, and the why got forgotten. You know, it's like, well, why are you brushing it on that way? And why are you backcombing it first? And nobody really knows. They just saw it and it worked. So they followed along. It was like, it's kind of become the follow the leader industry now. And it's always refreshing when you see someone step away from that and, and, and take another twist and put a new turn on it. And so that's the only thing I feel like that's missing. There's so much artistry. There's so much talent out there and i mean what social media has done is just crazy for so many hairdressers it's just it's turned them into literal like rock stars right um which is which is amazing but i think along the way like if you can take that and the foundations and the true artistry of hairdressing that can just make it that much better you know i think back of the training i got versus the training they're getting now and it's it was it's just a different game you know, a whole different game. What inspires you to be so involved with education at this point in your career? How do you approach education when you have a classroom full of eager hairstylists that want to learn? Right. I mean, I love mentoring and I, I've made it my mission probably now, I don't know for how many years, but quite a few years. I first started out, you know, as I started becoming an educator and then moving up to being like, you know, a, a platform artist and all these things. At first, you're a little lost because you're still finding yourself and protect, perfecting your own skills at presentation and all of the and inspiring your audience, motivating people. And then you take that turn where you realize, like, I'm right where I want to be. This is great. Now I need to figure out how I can also pass that on. You know, still tr stay true to yourself, but also sharing with others in the next generation coming up you know, again, those foundations, because presentation is tricky. You know, it, 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 there, there's a lot of elements that goes into holding on to your audience and all of that. So I've kind of started to make that my mission now. And I'm working a lot on some coaching programs. I'd like to get more into that mentoring for um, 
you know, being able to present. Everyone has that fear. And, you know, people ask me that all the time, but you get nervous before you go on stage. You do, but you learn how to channel it so it isn't a problem anymore. Where when you're still new at it, you're still trying to figure out, like, how do I make the jitters go away for the first 15 minutes I'm on stage? <laughs> um, and so I've, I've been working on some formats and programs for that. And that's what I'd like going into 2024 and beyond that to become my new thing to just really coach you know, these younger, not even just younger, but less experienced stylists that really think they want to go that route um, because I have a lot to offer there as well. I had a mentor once tell me about presentations and being nervous that um, he was a, a TV news anchor for years and years and years. And I had mentioned I got nervous before I did a live shot or something. And, and he said, I still get nervous. And I've been doing that. I've been sitting on the anchor desk for how many years? And I never forget what he said. He said, the day that you don't get nervous is the day you should probably get out of what you're doing because you don't care enough anymore. You don't have that little bit of like nervous energy that's channeling that in the appropriate way and that's what it's all about it's like figuring out how to make use of that so you can go out and be the best that you can be because that's the biggest fear is that you're not going to connect with the audience you know your information you know you have the skill set but then it's like what if they don't like what i have to say or what if they can't connect or relate to what i'm saying you need to be able to read your audience and work around all of that and not let that get in your head either because you know, that's the biggest thing you have to remember. In most cases, you're being paid or compensated in some way to share the knowledge that you have. You didn't twist somebody's arm or hold them hostage to put you on that stage. <laughs> you were invited. So you have to remind yourself sometimes of that as well. So again, there's a lot of tricks, you know, that that, that you can work on for different personalities. Some people are, you know, I call them edutainers. And everything they have to offer is just as, as, as good and valuable, but they have this natural knack for the, adding this comedic value to their presentation. I was never that person. I can't remember a punchline to save my life, so I just <laughs> never went there. But I do know that if I meet somebody that I see that skill, I tell them, you know, go with it. It's kind of like being a coach on The Voice, right? <laughs> you, you know, each of those singers need a different, a different uh, coaching and a different method. So, yeah. That's it. As a coach, what advice do you have for someone who is starting their career in the industry? Maybe they have a couple years of experience. They still work in a salon, but maybe have aspirations to do something else. What advice do you have? You know, I will say go for it. You know, figure, they need to figure out a way that they can first, you know, get that experience, whether they offer to share with their salon team. I find that a great way to get yourself started. As a salon owner, before I ever became an educator, that's what I would do. I would have to present to the team at our quarterly, you know, meetings, and then I would do education once a month with them. And I, I would, you know, so having that little bit of experience then to build myself up, right? Go to a beauty school. No cosmetology school is going to turn you down. If you go to the door and say, look, I'm a new, you know, I'm a, I'm a fairly new stylist and this is my goal and my dream. Would you allow me to come in and do a little presentation for the students just for me to get some experience and, and, and share some, you know, some knowledge that I've gained in the last two years? I don't think there's a cosmetology school out there that would say no. 
they're going to find that hour for you or two hours or whatever it might be if you're going to try to do a demo or whatnot. There's Toastmasters. There's getting involved with your city council. There's, you know, there's any number of things. Your, your, your high school's having a career day. Step up. You know, show up at the, you know, volunteer at the career day and say, this is an amazing career and I want to share this with the, the high school students at their career day. There's just a lot of ways that you can, that they can step out and do that. Or, you know, again, brands, if you have a favorite brand that you're really passionate about, no one's going to turn you away if you offer free shampoo help at a show or something. You just got to remember, sometimes you just have to put yourself out there. They're not going to necessarily pick you out of a crowd and say, hey, you want to come and help us in the back room. But if you find that right person and approach them the right way, they're going to let you rinse color bowls. The first show I ever did, I was out of school a year. It was a Redken show. I was still living in South Dakota in a small town. I couldn't even believe we were having this event. And I found the right person through my sales rep. And I said, hey, I will do anything they need me to do. I just want to see what it's like to do this. And sure enough, you know, I was back there helping shampoo, rinsing color bowls. They didn't trust me with a lot, but they did trust me with some stuff. And I felt like a part of a team, you know, and that's when I realized too, that I, I loved the whole team camaraderie. Yeah. Not to be afraid to raise your hand and say, I want to be involved because I think sometimes with social media, we think, oh, I'll be discovered if I have a great following. But even today, the more people that I speak with, the more I realize that connection piece in real life and that hustle factor, that being involved in the community is still a big part of growing a career. Exactly. And, and, you know, with the whole community effort, there's a lot more that goes into that, like you said, than just, you know, being there and being a business owner. The more things that you can get involved in, the more business that's going to come your way, whether you're feeding yourself as a stylist or you're feeding a team and you own a salon or something. You know, my biggest thing was my team grew to like 31 employees. They were all commissioned or hourly for the receptionist and all of that. But the big thing for me, the pressure then came is not for me to earn a paycheck. The pressure now came that all my team needed to earn a paycheck. So I needed to do whatever I could now to not promote me, but to promote my team and my business. And so it, it always it always is beneficial either way. You've learned so many skills from that. And I think being uncomfortable, putting yourself sometimes in these uncomfortable positions it, it forces you, you know, it, it forces you to step up because you don't want to embarrass yourself. You don't want to make a fool of yourself. And sometimes just putting your hand up when you least expect it, you can have that, oh, crap moment. What did I just do? But now you've done it. So it's like, OK, I've done it. Now I got it. Now I got to do it. <laughs> right. What advice do you have for yourself to Sherry today? Advice to Sherry starting out? Yeah. Um, I think that, um, you know, for me, the biggest thing is going back, I would say, don't sweat the small stuff, you know, and, and, and I say that even to my grown children now, because we spend so much time, I think, in our younger life, worrying about things that do not matter, things you don't even remember. I'm sure <laughs> most of the stuff that I was sweating in the beginning of my career are things like, I don't even remember, you know, maybe that client that you thought, oh my gosh, I can't, I'm never going to make her happy. And every time she was on your book, you got yourself worked up. I don't even remember that client's name now. So I would always say, don't sweat the, you know, the small stuff and 
everything small stuff. I think there's a book. There is. <laughs> I think there is. <laughs> everything is the small stuff. Um, I think that too, you know, before you say yes and no to things, you really got to think about it. I think sometimes when you're super eager, you, you tend to yes too much. And when you're afraid, you know too much, you know? So you, you just weighing out those yes and no opportunities. I've, I've done projects for free, you know, uh, that I've, that I've comped and I've gotten amazing, like editorial work out of it or bigger opportunities, but I've said yes to things. And in the moment, as soon as I walked in the door, I was like, oh my gosh, I wish I never would have said yes to this. Cause I saw almost immediately, I should have done more uh, checking in there. I should have investigated the opportunity a little more because this is not what I thought it was at all. So you, I think it's important and the same with no's. You, I've said no and then I've like kicked myself in the rear because I passed it on to somebody and it blew up into something amazing. And I was like, why didn't I just say yes? <laughs> so definitely to my younger self, I would say really think through the yes and no's because most people don't need an answer on the spot. And if you just ask, can I get back to you later today? Can I get back to you tomorrow morning? Weighing things out, I think is just, is so important. Yeah, there, there's a few times in my career when I was in LA and I was doing a lot of like very expensive wig work for big, huge, like Oscar winning stars, you know, for their roles as different characters. And I'd be in my studio at midnight with this wig sweating and things, you know, you're doing test strands and then, then they're like, okay, we're gonna do a camera test tomorrow. And then the camera test comes back. We think it's a little this, it needs to. And then I think to myself, what what was I thinking when I got into this? And then I review what I was thinking and why I made the decision. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm gonna see my name in the credits. I'm gonna see my work on the big screen. So it's all gonna be worth it in the end. <laughs> but I've had a lot of those moments for sure. <laughs> well, you've had, you've had a lot of adventure. Yes. Do you have a next adventure? Well, for now, I mean, I'm, I'm happy where I am, but I never say forever because I just think, you know, I'm, I'm 61 years old. I've been in the industry for 41 years, almost 42. And for me, I am always still seeking really amazing opportunity that I can better myself. I can uh, grow my skills. I can grow my knowledge. I can learn to be a better mentor. I could help build a brand. You know, there's always, I'm always open to, to that, right? Um, but for now, you know, I, I left an established company I'd been with for a very long time because for me, it kind of, it just sort of got like flatlined, right? And I came to realize like, that doesn't work for me. Sure, the money's coming in, there's the same opportunities keep coming. It's like Groundhog Day, you know? It's, and so I just decided I needed a change. And so for now, I'm you know, almost two years into that change and it's, it's still proving to be very challenging and also um, very rewarding. So, but I definitely love change and I love challenge and I love versatility. So that's who I am. <laughs> To me, it seems like that's a, a key to your success is that desire to always grow and change and not, not take this, this perspective of, well, I've been doing this for 41 years and I am like, I've reached it. I know everything, but being open to learn a lifelong learner. And, and I don't really have a timestamp on retirement. So I can't really <laughs> say like, 
okay, I've, I've arrived, I've got everything done I wanted to do before retirement because I don't even know when that's going to be because right now I can't even imagine being. It's hard for me to admit I'm a senior, let alone think about... I don't think you qualify. <laughs> I think after 37 years, my husband would divorce me, honestly, because I'm actually busy or I would drive everyone insane. Um, you know, so now, right now, my next adventure is 2024. <laughs> I like it. I like I've it. got trainings to plan. I've got, um, you know, show schedules. We've got all the premiere shows. I'm hoping to do independent education there. Uh, we've got all the competitions, right? It's, it's all fresh and new come January. So it's just really, I think being organized is so key to all of those things. And so it's really like, this is the time I'm not behind the chair anymore. I do have some private clients. I still do some house calls in LA and New Orleans and a few other places. Um, but I do still see a few clients. I think it's very important for me to keep hands in air. I need to still know what I have. I have everything from my extreme clients that were all the funky, you know, fantasy colors, as well as my everyday uh, balayage, money piece, face framing trends. So I really can stay tuned in to what people are really asking for as well. So uh, that keeps me busy, but the holidays aren't the busiest time for me. That's when I do all my planning and um, organizing. <laughs> But to see what's next in 2024 for you and I mean and the industry as we work together more. Yes. Yeah. I and again, you know, my biggest focus now I feel like is just doing as much like mentoring, team building, and all of that as I can because there's a whole clientele out there of stylists that are just waiting for somebody to help kind of coach and mentor them. So I love that. And one final, something fun that I do like to ask, um, you have a favorite decade for the look, the hair, the makeup, the fashion, is there a favorite time frame that you're like, oh, I just love that era? Yeah, well, honestly, I just love anything that has like that um, periodic stamp on it, right? Everything from Marie Antoinette to the 20s, 40s, 50s, whatever. But I think for me, the 70s, I loved the 70s for a few reasons because I feel like that that decade went from clean, casual, effortless, natural beauty to boom, disco, diva, queen, glamour, <laughs> glitter. So I think that's my favorite decade because I almost kind of feel like that's me. You know, I have those days when I just want to look natural and clean and crisp and you know, effortless. And then those other times when I'm like, give me some glitter eyeshadow, you know, <laughs> throw on the lashes, let's go. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. So is there anything else that we haven't touched on that you want to share? No, I mean, thank you guys at PBA because you're such a wonderful organization for supporting stylists and brands and schools and the whole industry. So we're all really blessed to have you know, PBA and within our industry supporting us. And um, I just, I mean, I appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Well, I can't wait to see you in 2024. And I know I'll be seeing you on- You'll be seeing me. stages, beacon <laughs> 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 our student program. I can't wait. All of it. Okay. Thank All you right. so much, Leslie. Thank you. All Bye. Right. Talk soon. <laughs>